All right, hello family. Good to see you guys. Are you ready for the good news? Yeah, me too. All right, open your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Now, uh, just to recap, last week Jesus declared that He'd not come to cancel the law of God and not to preserve the law of God, but rather to fill it fuller, right? And so Jesus declares that the entire Old Testament is binding on our life today, but not in the exact same way that it once was. Jesus authoritatively interprets how God's Word uh, applies to our life today. And I, the whole sermon last week was, was explaining that, so I'm not going to re-preach that. And uh, I would encourage you to go listen to that, or the next six weeks probably won't make a lot of sense to you, okay? <laughs> uh, so if you remember, Jesus said that if our righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, who were perfect, by the way, in keeping God's law, right? He says, Jesus says, if our righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, that we have no chance at entering the kingdom of heaven. He's emphatic. You'll never enter. So what follows today and the next few weeks is six examples of what this greater righteousness looks like this godly behavior that comes from a God-loving heart actually looks like in real life. He's going to give six examples. And with that said, please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. You have heard said, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O holy and heavenly Father, We love you. We thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for your son, Jesus. And I ask now, God, that you would open up our hearts to receive your word. Uh, Help it be a mirror into our own heart. And change us because of your great love for us. It's in the sacred name of Jesus we ask. Amen. Amen. How many people have you killed this month? Sorry, should I start with a little more small talk first? Uh, okay, I'm not asking, that's a serious question. I'm not asking how many people you thought about killing this month. I'm asking how many people have you literally put your hands on them, killed them this month? Okay, not a lot of hands. Okay, how many, how, how many, uh, I'll make it a little more difficult. Surely I'll get somebody here. How many people have you murdered this year? 
I mean, I'm not all-knowing by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I feel safe in assuming that not one person in this room has actually murdered anybody uh, even over the whole year. Listen, does that fact make you a good person? Does that fact make you a good person? Uh, uh, you know, it, it, that's the kind of standard that we use, right? To judge if we're a good person at our very core of our being. Isn't that a standard that we say a lot? Well, at least I haven't killed anybody, right? Except on Call of Duty, you know. I mean, I haven't killed anybody, at least. And it's usually said that way, right? Well, at least I haven't killed anybody. Listen, I'm going to pick at that a little bit. If that is the standard of righteousness or goodness, then that's a pretty low bar if you think about it for half a second, right? Am I right? That's a pretty low bar for goodness. I mean, I didn't murder a single person last year, and it was a rough year for me, okay? I did it, and you know what else, guys? It didn't really require a lot of effort on my part. It didn't. I mean, it really wasn't that hard for me to keep the letter of that law. Does that mean I'm a good person? It really was the very least that I could do. I mean, so it kind of calls into question whether keeping the letter of the law is actually a reliable standard for determining about whether we are a good mother or not, a good uh, son or spouse or church member or citizen or not. Am I right? It kind of calls all that into question. Listen, guys, Jesus is exposing a problem here. And it's this, we don't understand the fullest sense of do not murder. We really don't understand that. We think it's merely a rule to obey. But Jesus tells us it's a person we become. We think it's just a rule we obey, but Jesus says it's a person we become. And today we're going to talk about the Jesus way to live the life that does not murder. Remember, this whole Sermon on the Mount is what? It's about a way of being in the world, right? And so we're going to talk about the fullest sense of the law, the consequences for not living it, and what repentance might look like. Okay? So first... Murder is born from a heart that hates and a mouth that destroys. Jesus teaches us that murder is born from a heart that hates and a mouth that destroys. Look at the text with me. It's right here, verse 21 and 22. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And I say to you, he's not contradicting that, but he says, and, and I say that to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the, the council, that's the court. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. 
woe. It's easy for us to look at these next six teachings over the next few weeks as if Jesus is con- he's like contradicting the law or abolishing it. It's easy to read this like, well, you've heard, you heard it said that murder's wrong, but I say it's okay as long as your heart was in the right place. That's not what he's saying. Remember, Jesus has emphatically said he's not canceling God's word. It's, his word is eternal. It's unbreakable. He's not canceling God's word, but neither is he leaving it preserved and untouched. Jesus is what? He's a transformationalist. He's transforming the law in that he's exposing the fuller sense of what God has always been saying to us. Murder is evil, but murder is the last and the final step in a progression of evil within us, is it not? I mean, like after murder, it's over. That's the final part of it. It's really, guys, it's the externalization of evil against another human being made in the image of God. But Jesus teaches that we kill people in our hearts and with our mouths long, long before we kill them with our hands. And he gives three interrelated um explanations for this and they're not to be read on their own they're re- they're supposed to be read together to help mutually interpret themselves and the first uh that he gives of this explanation is that we feel hatred against someone you know there's this common idea of like we need to ignore our feelings that's not what jesus teaches as we feel this sense, this emotion or this impulse of hatred against someone, this is, this is not anger, by the way, of like anger against a wrong that has been done to us. That's not what this word is really describing. This anger is aimed against the person, not what they did. And the truth is that it is a very razor-thin step from I'm angry about what they did to me to thinking, and I hate them for it. Amen? Like, I'm talking like nanosecond amount of time, right? He's talking about actually like visualizing this. Visualizing that person, not what they did, but that person as a monster. They're not really fully human. It's this inner posture of contempt for another person or a people group. Like a whole group of people or a subgroup of people. Life would be better if those people weren't around. Uh, The other two examples that Jesus uses, they have to do with insulting our brother or sister and using abusive speech. The word that Matthew records here for insult is raka. Raka literally means airhead. Do you know that? Or, or what it means is they're empty-headed. It is a derogatory remark that is cloaked in humor. It's just joking. Empty-headed. It talks of, it's, that's something about a person's mental capacities to understand reality. 
That's what raka means. They're an airhead. They don't know what they're talking about. They're crazy. You know, she's a woman, so you know she's just a little emotional. That's called some raka. These insults are actually designed to attack another person's mental capacity. They need a caretaker. They need someone to interpret things for them. Because they're raka. They're an airhead. The word that's translated here for fool in the Greek is moros. What's that sound like? It's where we get the word moron. You call him a moron? Moron. What's a moron? A moron cannot do anything for themselves. They don't have the capacities to take care of themselves or do things for themselves. They, you know, he can't dress himself. You see what he wears? He can't dress himself. Can't fix a problem properly. Can't make wise decisions. Can't be trusted with things that are important. I mean, look at how you load the dishwasher. What a moron. That's not how you do it. How stupid are you? Why'd you fix the broken door that way? What a moron. You don't fix it that way. Who fixed this? This is the right way to fix it. Jesus is very clear, brothers and sisters. That's abusive speech. Okay? These kinds of words are designed to disintegrate a person, not integrate them as whole. They are designed to strip away their dignity and humanity, and the result is that they become less than human in our eyes and also less human in their own eyes time after time after time. They start believing what they're hearing. In other words, they shrink. They mute. Instead of flourish, they're wounded instead of made whole. That's what words do. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says this is murder. You're killing them. You're killing off what makes them a human being, which is in the image of God himself. Listen, this is not a minor offense. This, this isn't just a joke, joking around and teasing. They're not being overly sensitive. This kind of speech is serious, Jesus says, especially for people who claim to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And why? Why is it this serious to him? Because God created us by using words. Yes, I've said that we said this before when we went through Genesis. We are spoken beings, right? We're spoken beings, and we live in a spoken universe that is either sustained or destroyed by the very words that are spoken. That's how God is sustaining all this. By what? The power of His Word. Look what James says. By the way, little brother of Jesus. So figure out where he heard this, all right? Just listen to this. James 3, and the tongue is a fire. 
a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. That sounds like Sermon on the Mount, right? It is a way of being in the world. He says your tongue is setting on fire your way of being in the world. Your course of your life. And it is set on fire by hell itself. With it, with our mouth, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. I love you guys, and I would just invite each of us to review the pictures and images in our minds and the words that have come out of our mouth this week. Don't go back a year. Don't go back a month. Just go back in the last few days. Play back the tapes. Okay? Just take a minute and play back just for you. I don't know what that was for you or not. I'm not judging anyone. But go play back the tapes. And ask ourselves, what do my reactions to other people reveal about me? What do they reveal about me, about my heart? I mean, if this is how Jesus defines murdering people, then I would invite us to ask the question, have I murdered? Have I murdered? Have I set anyone on fire with my mouth? And that's what we say when we burn somebody. We're speaking better than we know, right? Have I stripped away any of their human dignity of my brother, my sister, my spouse, my, my child, my parents, just with the thoughts of my heart, the little movies that I replay and nurture in my mind? And then I would humbly invite us just to ask one other really important follow-up question. Are you ready? Do I seem to be okay with that? Do I seem to be okay with that and justify that? See, Jesus not only gives us the fullest sense of what do not murder really means, but he's also very clear about the consequences for not living that way in the world. He says that the Lord will punish every unrepentant murderer. And this is all throughout the New Testament. The Lord will punish every unrepentant murderer. It's here in the text, verse 22. These are exact words of Jesus. He says, And I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the court. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. As I was researching for this sermon, guys, I was, I was actually taken by surprise by like how much the entire New Testament warns about hating others and murdering them with our mouths. Like within the Christian community, like within the community of faith, forget the world. <laughs> I was, I was really, I thought maybe there might be one or two other places. Uh, uh-uh. uh, it's, uh, it's everywhere. It was amazing to me. It's a really big deal to God for us to not harbor contempt or not speak abusively to our friends or spouse or fellow Christians even. It's a big deal to Him. 
Jesus underscores this truth not once, not twice, but three times. It's a, it's a trinity. It's a big point he's making here. God will judge those who live this way. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. Christian, non-Christian, believer, non-believer. Religious or religious, saved, not saved. This is, what he's ta- he, this is who he's talking to. This is his definitions. He says they will never enter the kingdom of heaven, but on the contrary, they'll enter the fires of hell. And see, there's this notion among some Christians that because God forgives sin and because we're under grace and not the law, that means that we can do whatever we want in His name without repercussions from God. And do you know what we call that? We call that a categorical mistake. Okay? And just follow the logic here. Just because God can forgive sins, that in no way means God must forgive sins. It just means He can. It just means He has that ability. That doesn't mean He has to forgive anybody's sins, right? And just because God can forgive sins in general... That does not mean God must somehow forgive your sins in particular. Okay? What, let, me, let me ask it this way. Why does God have to forgive you? Why does God have to forgive you for all the abusive or belittling words you've spoken in your life? Why does he have to do that? Because you said a prayer at some point 30 years ago? And now, like, you have God over a barrel and He owes you? Or because you've not physically put your hands on anyone? And, like, for that reason, like, God somehow owes you complete and total forgiveness? That's not how this works. Jesus is clarifying something very important for all of us. The notion that we can consistently, like as a pattern, as a way of life, that we can consistently harbor hatred or contempt against another person or people group and still be good with God, that's just not true. So let me disabuse you of that rumor through the words of Jesus. Okay? God, God says this. Jesus uses this phrase. He says, you're liable to judgment. That means we're presently not safe from judgment unless we repent from that way of being in the world. Unless we turn away from that. We say that's wrong and I'm turning away from that. That's the caveat. See, here's the good news of the gospel. God forgives all who repent no matter who they are or what they've done. God forgives all who repent, all who turn away from murder, all who turn away from cutting and abusive speech. And God will judge everyone who does not. They've opted to stand in the courtroom of heaven as their own defense attorney. I can just imagine some of these defenses. Well, it was just words, Creator. Just words. 
Uh, oh, it was just a joke. I was just joking. Uh, well, hey, you know, I never acted on my hatred. I never acted on the contempt. You know what? Listen, they were just being too sensitive. And you know what? God, maybe you're being a little too sensitive about all this word stuff. Well, I hope that's not our great defense. Do not be deceived by a false sense of security, my brothers and sisters. The Lord judges all who destroy people, creating the image of God. And the Lord forgives everyone who repents and abandons that way of life and walks toward, the life, toward that life of flourishing with Jesus. So, so maybe we're listening and we're like, hey, you know, that's me. What do I do? What does repentance look like on a practical level? I'm so glad you asked because I have an answer. <laughs> uh, repentance looks like the work of reconciliation. Okay? Repentance looks like the work of reconciliation. It's here in the text. Jesus says in verse 23 and 24, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come, offer your gift. And so Jesus gives us like a general principle. Murder is actually a way of being in the world where we harbor contempt for someone or use abusive language. And then he tells us the consequences of unrepentant murder, right? And then finally, here in this section, since we're all guilty of this, me included, he gives us a couple possible applications of what it looks like to, re to repent. And I want to emphasize that. He gives a couple of possible applications of what it might look like to repent. Listen, uh, these are not to be read woodenly. They're not to be read as the only two ways to repent, and nor are they to be obeyed, literally obey, but rather the spirit of them are to be obeyed as our circumstances allow. Did you hear that last part? As our circumstances allow. This is application, not interpretation. Does that make sense? So first, he says, when it comes to our attention that we have offended or insulted uh, a brother or sister, we should push, push pause on our formal worship of God. That's the first thing. That's the first part of this work of reconciliation. Jesus says, leave your gift. Leave your gift. Leave whatever you're offering to God as your sacrifice, in other words. Whether that's your money or your prayers, your song of praise. Uh, leave it for now. Don't forget about it. Uh, but go be reconciled with your brother or your sister or friend or whoever it is. And then come back and continue doing this. Okay? Reconcil so whatever reconciliation means, whatever Jesus means by reconciliation, it means at least this. 
It is the work that we, the offender, we, the murderer, the insulter, initiate. Okay? That's the principle. That's at least what it means. It's the work that we initiate. Okay? They are hurt, and we go to them, and we go to them with the uh, purpose of making peace, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Not the peacekeepers, the peacemakers, right? Jesus says. So, in other words, we ask if we can talk about what we said or how we treated them. We offer to initiate that conversation, okay? Now, notice the whole flavor here in this teaching of Jesus, this whole flavor here is not going to establish who was right and who was wrong in the offense, Okay? That's the heart of making judgments. Because when you do that, you're like, I'm judging this was right and I'm judging that was wrong. That's not the heart of reconciliation. That's a different work. Does this make sense? We need to keep our categories clear here. So regardless of who was right or who was wrong or to what degree someone was right or what degree they were wrong, there's been a rupture in the relationship. That's an indisputable fact. Amen? Can the church say amen? You tracking? Okay, that's the fact. Let's keep our eye on the ball. Okay? Let's keep our eye on the ball. There's been a rupture in the relationship, so true reconciliation wants that relationship to be restored if it's possible. That's the want. That's the heart desire. Okay? So we approach our brother, sister, spouse, child, child, with that motive. I did something that ruptured this relationship. And my heart here today is to repair it, if that's even possible. See how meek that is? That's an offer. It's an offer. That's not a demand, right? Do you see the flavor of this work? I want you to know something else. Jesus says, leave your sacrifice at the altar, right? Reconciliation is hard work. Can the church say amen? It is hard work. It's sweaty work. Right? Why? Because we must sacrifice in order to be reconciled with someone that we've hurt. That's why. There is something we must surrender. Okay? It will cost us to do this good work. And again, this depends on the situation. It depends on the person. It might cost us time because trust has been broken. And it depends on the degree that that trust has been broken might dictate how much time. It might cost us looking like the good guy. We're not going to be able to, we just have to get that out. Like, I'm not going to look like the good guy if I'm going to do reconciliation work. It might cost us being right. You might be right, and you kind of got to swallow that because there's a rupture in the relationship. In fact, our desire to prove how right we were might have actually led to the insult and the ensuing rupture in the very first place. 
See, guys, doing the work of reconciliation means we will sacrifice for the sake of the relationship. For the sake, you gotta keep your eye on the ball. For the sake of the relationship that's been torn. Listen, listen. If there is no sacrifice, it is really hard to argue that reconciliation has taken place. Why? Because you haven't left your sacrifice at the altar. You're still in possession of your sacrifice. You're still toting it around. That's how we know. That is why you and I, if we're being honest, are so hesitant to reconcile with those that we have hurt or hated. This is just tiring work, amen? It's tiring. And so we're like, I just don't even want to get into it. I don't even want to step my toe in the water that work. I know how tiring it's going to be. It's tiring work. It's a form of death, isn't it? It's a form of losing in order to win the relationship. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Do you know that God still calls us to make sacrifices in the New Testament? He said the whole law applies, it's just differently. We're still called to make sacrifices in the New Testament. But listen, it's our own bodies, not animals. I mean, that's really a deeper, fuller sense of that, isn't it? Some of you look like you don't believe me, so I'll have to guess I'll show you here. Romans 12.1. Yeah, we Christians, we still make sacrifices. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your what? Bodies. And I think he literally means body. Like you physically go there and initiate that conversation with your body. Right? Offer your body as what? A living sacrifice. This is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What's your spiritual worship? Presenting your body as a sacrifice, making that sacrifice. It's right there. This is the sacrifice of worship that God wants us to present to him. This is what he wants us to present to him. Not songs, not tithing, not church attendance or Bible memorization. That's all good, by the way, and that is all absolutely beneficial. But doing the work of reconciliation with people that we've ruptured these relationships with, that's the work he wants us to collaborate with him in and participate with. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that much more meaningful? Isn't that a bigger witness? And so it might look like this. I'm not saying it has to look like this. I'm saying it might look like this, okay? It might look like I realize that I've abused or degraded someone with my words. I could be the cashier or it could be a person in my house. I come to the realization of that. And so first, I get my own heart right. I got to do work on me first, okay? I got to look in myself. I, and, and I got to work on that and go, where did that emotion come from? And what was I going on there? And I got to be really honest with myself first. 
Reconciliation, we can't just like run off and do it because the Bible said so to go do it. You gotta get, we gotta do the work on ourselves first to get in that place. You understand what I'm saying? So don't let anyone push you into that. Okay? Start here. I, I desire to do whatever I can to mend the relationship. That may take you a day or two or three. But that's where you're wanting to go. So you're, you're talking to Jesus about that. Help me get to that place where I desire to mend this relationship. I go to, I'm trying to look at it from their point of view. I'm trying to look at what it might have done to them. And so I go to that person and I express that very desire. I express it like with words. Hey, there's a rupture in a relationship. And I now know that I've played a part. I've played a part. And I want to do whatever I can to restore it. So, what's troubling you? You might actually say those words so that they're very clear. I want to restore this. What's troubling you? And then hold on to your hat. And just listen to them. Okay? Don't interrupt them. Just brace yourself. See, that's why you got to do, you got to get ready before you go do the work. Does that make sense? You got to get your, your heart pure, right? It's the pure heart that'll see God, right? So get yourself set and then you go ask that question and then you just don't interrupt them and don't, you just hold on to your hat and listen. Don't try to parse out what they're saying. Well, that part's right and that part's not right and that part's accurate and that part's not, and don't do that. Make the sacrifice. <laughs> your body's the sacrifice. So just make the sacrifice of listening to the deep hurt. Listen, they're going to speak out of their injury. They're going to speak out of their hurt. And so you already know that going in, right? So let them. And I'll keep it from hurting you. Honor that person by trying to understand their hurt. Don't try to understand their words. They're speaking out of hurt. Understand their hurt. That's where we get this wrong. I'm trying to, well, you said this, and I can't tell Vanessa and I how many times we get in our arguments. It's like, well, you said this word, but I got to understand her hurt, not her words. Because she's speaking not out of her words, she's speaking out of her. This doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything that comes out of their mouth. That's not what, that's not what Jesus is saying. Okay? Did you hear that? Doesn't mean you got to agree with everything they're accusing you of. Doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that they're saying. It just means hear them and their injury. Okay? And then it might look like this. Agree specifically where you can. Okay? Not, well, okay, I admit, I may have said something that might have hurt you. Or, you know, yeah, I probably didn't handle that the right way. Or, you know, mistakes were made. Yeah, and you want to say, yeah, by you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't go, don't do that, guys. That's still us trying to not be a sacri living sacrifice, right? We're trying to hold on to that sacrifice. Mine. You're not sacrificing anyway when you use those kind of language, that kind of word. That is not, that's not the work of reconciliation. Listen, listen. They're not crazy. They're not imagining things. They're really hurt by you. I'm just saying, as a fact, they really are hurt. 
That's the sacrifice that pleases our Lord. Take the time. The conversation that might take an hour. Show them they're worth an hour. They're worth an hour every Monday at 3 o'clock. If that's what it takes. Agree where you can and agree specifically, not generally. These are the types of words that God speaks when He creates. They're not general, they're specific. Right? You might even say these words. You know what? You're right. You don't have to say, well, you're not right about all that, but don't do that. Don't muddy the waters. Tell them where they're right because you've actually been listening to them. You know what? You're right. I shouldn't have used that word Tuesday. You're right. I shouldn't have used that word. You're right. That was hurtful to you when I said that. It was. I agree with you because you're right about that. It was degrading to your humanity as a man as a woman. And I was wrong to say that. Agree just where, find, where can I agree? Okay? That's peacemaking. And then maybe you sit down with them and instead of trying to wrap everything up with a bow, because we got to go to dinner. You don't have to wrap it up with a bow. You don't wrap trauma up with a bow. Right? depending on the severity of the ruptures, depending on how many times this similar rupture has happened, it may take more than one conversation. And that's okay. You don't have to rush it. This is slow work. It is work. That's the sacrifice, though, that pleases the Lord. That's the sacrifice that pleases the Lord. This is the work. Guys, listen to me. Listen to me. This is the work of healing knife wounds. This is the work of bringing life to where there was once scorched earth. This is the work that requires someone to initiate it and someone willing to say, I'll lay that on the altar. And this, hear me now, this is exactly the difficult, hard work that Jesus came to do for you and for me. Listen, and to invite us to participate in. Isn't that great news? Guys, you remember remember all the abusive language that our Lord endured by humans He created and sustained on the cross? Let's go a little further down in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 27. He says, And those who passed by derided Him. Just take the D off. They ride it. They're riding him. They're just riding him. Wagging their heads. And they said, these are these, listen to these words. Matthew records a lot of words that were said for this reason. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him saying he saved others look he can't even save himself he's the king of Israel we'll let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him 
He trusts in God. Well, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Wow. Guys, listen, only the gospel gives us the power and even the desire to do the work of reconciliation. This is the power of God unto salvation. It saves marriages and it saves friendships and it saves nations. That's the real full sense of salvation, right? The gospel is the power of salvation. When I can visualize the work of Jesus on the cross, when I can see his body stripped not only of clothing but of his own human dignity, when, when I can try to hear the insults that are stabbing his face, the sarcasm that is filling up his drowning ears, and when I realize that he endured all that trauma, all that unrelenting abuse so that I could be restored to a relationship with him, that I could be the beneficiary of a relationship of life, that it just makes me want to participate in this work. It makes me want to collaborate with Jesus. Because Jesus is just good, isn't he? Isn't he good? Listen, listen, the sacrificial love of Jesus is what empowers us to sacrifice being right for the relationship. Jesus was right, wasn't he? I mean, it didn't get no righter. He was always right. And he was the sacrifice. Are you hearing me? This, the gospel, the gospel of love, that, that's, that's what helps us sacrifice looking like the good guy. We can sacrifice defending ourselves. We can give up time on our busy schedule. We can sacrifice the emotional energy that it's going to take to heal wounds when we gaze, not glance, when we gaze upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what's even better? Sometimes we get to bear witness to beauty when we do this work. We actually get to bear witness to beauty that emerges. We get to bear witness to life that emerges from once what was once destruction. That's the power of gospel to help us live the Jesus way in the world. Any good? Let's pray. Oh, dear Jesus, we hear your word every week. And I pray that you would help us take them, those words seriously. Lord, help us not forget these things we've heard today when we walk out the door or make light of them. For they're not idle words, they are our life. Lord God, help us play back the tapes not so that we feel guilt, not so that we are crushed, but so that we can repent. Your arms are open to us. Help us be people that want to collaborate with you and bring beauty and life, just like you did. We are so thankful. Amen.